Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Use Bosch Camera's onboard intelligent video analytics to quickly locate important recorded incidents or events. Bosch's forensic search saves you time and money by searching through hours or days of video within minutes to find and collect video evidence. Learn more about intelligent video analytics from Bosch in Zones 1-4 through of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science Podcast. This is our latest episode in the weekly series. Uh, Today, we're going to talk a little bit with Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan, um, and produced by Diego Rodriguez uh, of LPRC, and start off a little bit about, on the vaccine front, um, looks like um, some interesting, uh, some a really powerful study out indicating that those individuals within the group that have been vaccinated for COVID-19, only 0.008% got any type of discernible COVID, symptomatic or otherwise. So further good news uh, that the, these vaccines look very, very safe and effective and um, appear to be curtailing any type of infection in so many cases. There are exceptions. We know there's been four or 5,000 and the efficacy claims have been between 65 and a little over 95%, which still means that you know some 5 to 20% of the people might be vulnerable to getting some kind of illness, but they seem to be almost 99% when it comes to serious disease um, prevention and reducing hospitalization. And you see too that even some people they're reporting in some studies that have the long haulers uh, COVID-19 syndrome um, as they try and tackle what that is and why it presents in so many different ways, uh, that there seems to be some therapeutic uh, benefit for some that receive the vaccines uh, as far as curtailing that uh, syndrome. Uh, the blood clot issue is still under study. I think it's a powerful display of uh, their surveillance that's underway and continues to be underway as part of the vaccine program to pick up something that is so, so, so rare. You know, roughly eight known individuals out of, say, seven million, seven million humans that were vaccinated to pick that up is um, it's while tragic for those that are affected. Uh, I understand from at taking Advil and, and many other things that we do, certainly driving our automobile, the risk to reward is dramatically different. So that seems to be good news that it's just so isolated, um, but they, and that the, uh, the governmental surveillance and the outside identities and the university panels uh, are all over this. And so they were able to detect even some that, that minute uh, amount of a response, negative response. Uh, <clears throat> looks like right now, um, we've talked about there are now 49 um, vaccine candidates in phase one human trials, 49 additional, 35 additional uh, anti-COVID-19 vaccine trials uh, in phase two trials, 35 additional candidates, 27 additional candidates are now in extensive, exhaustive phase three trials. So we can see all kind of vaccine options continuing to move in through the uh, developmental and testing protocols um, is what, in addition to the five that already have emergency use authorization, including Moderna, the Pfizer, BioNTech, of course, AstraZeneca, J&J, Janssen, um, and some others from uh, other parts of the world, um, and that there are a 
that are approved. So there are a lot of options, a lot of candidates, a lot more therapies that are continuing to emerge. And remember, we talked way back months and months and months ago that getting people vaccinated at some point and the hope and dream of having a vaccine within a couple of years, uh, but vaccines, um, having quick, even at home tests would be critical to getting everybody back to work and some semblance of normalcy and of course, better therapies. And so here we are with uh, over 240 million Americans have now been vaccinated, uh, closing in on 100 million totally vaccinated vaccinated. These are all adults uh, and um, and continue to go there. I know there's some concerns with some that are not able to make it for their second, uh, unwilling to make it for their second, or when they return, uh, that they don't have the vaccine they had for the first dose. And so uh, they're still not advising that you mix uh, vaccines uh, in your dosing. So that's still continuing to be uh, worked on. But the idea that we've been vaccinating now between one and four million uh, Americans every day in the United States uh, starting back uh, last year um, is a, a real testament to amazing amount of rigorous science. Um, so worldwide, it looks like over 1.1 billion humans have been vaccinated and, uh, and closing out a quarter billion fully vaccinated around the world. So um, moving at light speed, we know there's some real tragedies as far as spikes going on whether it be localized in places like Michigan uh, or certainly in India is, a, is right now the standout where there's just a lot of tragedy. We've seen though United States, uh, Europe, UK, and other places racing to get uh, vaccines poured into India as well as oxygen and oxygenation machines and uh, ventilators and all types of medical technology and even people going in to help them recover um, and Restabilize there because it's a real tragedy what's happening in India right now. Um, so we've got to all pull together. Um, continuing research on mRNA vaccines, which is the Moderna and the Pfizer BioNTech, uh, those both seem to still be highly effective, uh, efficacious in this case, as well as safe. They're looking always for safety and other signals coming out of there. Um, they also can see that mRNA messenger does not enter into the cell center, does not affect DNA. I know that there were some early kind of um, chatter out there in the darker parts of the internet and so forth for social media, but it's just not the case that the mRNA is a messenger that sends a message uh, and it's the body re recognizes and attacks it, forms a defense. And so now our bodies are ready when the real, if and when the real coronavirus we're exposed to that SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, so I think those are some of the high points there um, and what's going on in that front. Tom could probably touch on some of what's happening in whether it be Minneapolis or South Carolina or Ohio or uh, the different areas and ongoing, of course, in the Portland and Seattle area um, that affect retailers, um, which is really mostly what this podcast is all about. Um, so let me, LPRC front, we've got uh, several webinars in development. We just delivered one AI solve, artificial intelligence solve uh, webinar, which was second in our series. We're working on three more and then just getting ready to develop an idea with the University of Florida for yet another uh, AI solve um, webinar slash summit um, in that field. So that's going to be exciting stuff. We've got uh, one uh, webinar coming up just for solution partner members of the LPRC only to help them do a deep dive into 
LPRC, where we are, where all the capabilities are, what the opportunities are for any solution partner or provider to, uh, as a member, engage fully across the LPRC ecosystem uh, with our science team, with the retailers uh, now, you know, closing in on 70 chains. Um, and of course, even with each other to integrate. And integration I wanted to bring up on this podcast is, is mission critical. Um, we've had several key retailers approach us and talk about their real concerns about, and, and really, and to put it succinctly, they're over it, is what some of them are telling me. The idea of just buying all these disparate technologies uh, that are capable of being inter- integrated together. Some are not. Some are just more mechanical and they can't be integrated. Um, we know that uh, using different keys and different ways to open technologies has been a concern for everybody in retail for years. And, and so now the same thing with digital, digitally coupling technologies. They really want a platform that allows them to do a lot more things simultaneously so that they can learn to integrate, collect data across their, the surface area and uh, understand better the effects uh, where they need to be more, uh, provide more focus and precision action and things like that. So stay tuned, but integration seems to be a, a growing theme. Um, we've got now starting to get some of the major retailers booking trips here into Gainesville, Florida to meet with us and uh, brainstorm here at LPRC. Um, stay tuned on that right now. Most of those are, I wouldn't say confidential, but they're proprietary visits as the, as the retailers start to gin up and, and come in here um, and form their plans, their action plans. Um, so that's a little bit about LPRC. Please go to the LPRC website, lpresearch.org. Diego, who's our producer on here on Crime Science, is doing amazing, amazing things with that website, uh, making it even easier to navigate, to find the most important information really very rapidly, but to create uh, dynamic, colorful imagery that helps everybody better understand how LPRC actually works and how to leverage uh, the, the community whether you're a retailer or solution partner or other type of member. Um, so stay tuned there. Um, so if I might, I'm going to go ahead and segue over to Tony D'Onofrio. Tony, can you take us around the world? Thank you very much, Reed. Uh, and just a quick update on the LPRC front in Europe. Uh, we are planning a July meeting with a group of European retailers in London. That'll be a start of, again, keep, keep going in terms of building LPRC Europe. We'll keep everybody posted through the the webcast in terms of our progress in other parts of the world. But uh, speaking to innovation, uh, which is a key topic for the LPRC, some of the data that I'll share this week, let's start with the top five highest value startups in the world. And it's interesting to watch how innovation really has been a key driver around the world, especially in China and the United States. So the, the most uh, highest value startup is actually in China. It's a company called ByteDance. You might not know ByteDance, but I'm, but I'm sure you know TikTok. And uh, ByteDance is the parent of TikTok, and they're valued at $140 billion right now. Number two is Stripe, which is a, a fintech startup in the US. It's valued at $95 billion. Number three uh, is SpaceX. Uh, all of us have heard of SpaceX, especially recently, since they shuttled some more astronauts to the space station and were also awarded the lunar module, but they're valued at 74 billion. We go back to China for Didi Chuxing uh, and it's a transportation startup valued at $62 billion. And then number five, very uh, very popular during COVID is Instacart, 
which is again is a US-based uh, startup based at 39 billion. Uh, talking to startups uh, uh, in electric cars, when is the right time to buy an electric car? And what is the cost difference between an electric car versus um, a, a gas powered car? And there was actually some interesting information in um, Infographic Journal uh, where, where they stated that Morgan Stanley predicts that 72% of all car sales will be electric by the year 2040. They also did an analysis in that infographic in terms of what it costs to have an electric car. So after a six year run of an electric car, when you consider how long it lasts, the purchase price and tax credits, it costs about $71,000, nearly $72,000 actually, to have an electric car. An electric car is really saving money um, yearly, but it costs a lot more upfront. And that's really the issue, it's the upfront cost. For a gas power car, the average six year cost based on longevity purchase price is uh, nearly $59,000. Uh, again, gas, gas power cars save you more than later years. So the key is really getting the cost, the upfront cost of electric cars down, which will happen as more competition comes into the market. Also very interesting to me this week was how productive is an hour of work in terms of contribution in GDP to the economy. And uh, this was like a study that was published in, in Statista and it's actually from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development on what an average hour of work contributes to the most uh, to global GDP. And the number one country actually that's most productive in terms of somebody working and contributing to the economy I was surprised again, it's Ireland. Uh, it's uh, every hour worked in Ireland contributes $102 of GDP for economic contribution. Number two is Luxembourg at $94. Norway is number three at $84. United States is number four at $72. And France is number five. So that's how much an hour contributes to the economy when you work. And then supporting what Reed has been talking about in terms of uh, vaccination and where we are around the world, there is a race to vaccinate. Um, and the, here are the top five countries in terms of that have achieved, uh, what percentages have they achieved in terms of full vaccination as of April 19, which is only about a week or so ago. Uh, and so number one is Israel. They have 57% of the population vac vac fully vaccinated. Number two is Chile at nearly 28%. Number three is Bahrain is 27%. US is number four, which is a surprise again, because early on we were all worried they're already at nearly 25%. And number five is Serbia at 18%. What's interesting is how far behind Europe is. I, I'll give you an example. My 91 year old father is just getting his first shot in Italy right now. Whereas in the US I'm fully vaccinated. So it gives you an idea how much more work needs to be done. And finally, one of my favorite studies that I look forward to every year is from Deloitte, which is the global powers of retailing. It summarizes the state and the direction of the global top 250 largest retailers. Uh, the top 10 global retailers of 2021 from their report are Walmart, Amazon, Costco, Schwartz Group, which is really little, Kroger, Walgreens uh, Boots, Walgreens Boots is the Alliance, Home Depot, Aldi, CVS, and Tesco. 
the the top ten are actually holding steady. The only change was Amazon, the rise of Amazon. Amazon has moved up now to be number two, pushing Costco down to number three. That's really the change. All the other uh, retailers stayed at the same level. Uh, the top 10 retailers represented 33% of all the total retail revenue for the top 250. On average, uh, the top 10 retailers had operation in 13 countries, although the trend has been that they're actually closing more countries and opening in recent years. The growth rate for the global top 250 retailers has been 5%, the profit margin 2.4%, and the percentage of revenue from foreign operation about 20 to 2.5%. Uh, it was interesting to me that North America leads in terms of the global retailers. Uh, so nearly $2,285 billion in revenue is from the United States. Europe is second with $1,618 billion. Asia is third with 786 billion, Latin is fourth, and the Africa Middle East is fifth. The highest retail growth is in Asia, uh, is 7.1%, followed by Latin America, 6.2%. The laggard is actually North America. They're actually last at, last at 3.6%. And then this is one of my favorites. For the top 250 retailers, 66% of the revenue is from fast-moving consumer goods. And these are food and drug, mass merchandisers. Uh, so they dominate uh, the revenue, the total revenue. 19% is from hard lines such as DIY and leisure goods. And only 10% is for apparel. So we talked a lot about apparel. But in the global top 250 retailers, only 10% of the revenue is for apparel. The net profit margin for apparel was nearly 7%. For fast-moving goods, it was a measly 2%. And for hard goods, it was 4.4%. Uh, in the last study, 12 new retailers joined from around the world in the top 250. Nine out of the 12 are from Asia, indicating the rise of Asia in terms of the global top 250. Two were from Europe, and one from, was from the United States. And then finally, they also list the top uh, 50 fastest growing retailers. Nine of the fastest growing top 250 retailers from the United States, four are from China, uh, Mexico, France, and Russia, that, that for each in terms of those countries. So summarizing this week, startups are still a vibrant part of our lives, and it's great to see so much innovation, even, uh, even here at the LPRC. Ele electric cars are coming, and we're interesting to observe what happens to some companies like Tesla. We have a lot we can learn from Ireland in making the economy run more efficient. The global race for vaccines is important, and then we will determine how fast we get to the new normal. And finally, the top 250 retailers reinforce the importance of food and mass merchandise. It also reminds us about squeezing all those pennies, pennies for profitability, and LPRC is one of those great places to experiment with technology to reduce cost and to profitability. So with that, let me turn it over to Tom. Oh, thank you, Tony. Thank you, Rita. I apologize if there's background noise as I'm in transit, but I'll start off with, and Reed started to talk a little bit about some of the civil unrest throughout the United States. Um, we talk about this every single podcast, the Fusion Net, which is a place where retailers, law enforcement, and academic uh, folks can get together uh, and share information, validate information about events that are occurring 
throughout the world. Um, and, uh, you know, in one sense, I think that uh, with some of the recent occurrence in the verdict in uh, Minneapolis around the Chavez trial, the, there was less uh, civil disturbance than some of the reports would have uh, alluded to, which is good news, but you still have hotbeds of, of pockets of areas that have um, what I would say at this point is consistent um, disturbance. So the Portland, uh, the Portland market, uh, there are some small subsets of Denver, the Philadelphia market, um, kind of a consistent rumbling of some sort. And then the San Francisco, Northern California market. Um, in uh, Elizabeth, South Carolina, there was uh, another unfortunate uh, event where there was an African-American shot uh, during a search in the house. And there, there have been protests. Uh, well, I would say they were smaller in nature around the release of the body cam footage. I think that's something we have to pay very close attention to because um, there is a, a fair amount of chatter throughout um, all of the channels around BLM and other protests about you know that that event. Um, and it, it when when an event like that occurs, how the the government and police respond really do uh, make a difference on what it is. And then the the, the other event where there was a teenager attempting to stab another teenager, uh, and that was fatally shot. So there, there are a couple instance, incidents that occurred in the last three weeks that still are uh, very, very much being talked about online in the Telegram groups, on Reddit, uh, and then the, the standard social media channels. And it, it is definitely drawing a lot of attention. And I think uh, we need to keep very close watch. And I think we will through the fusion, fusion net of uh, when and if the body camera in, in Carolina is released, because that will impact um, what occurs. And as you know, we taped this show on Tuesday. So there is a, a, a high chance that by the time you listen to this show on Thursday, some things have changed. So that's why it's so important to stay tuned into the Fusion Net uh, and you know, get that information when it comes available. Uh, more to come on those two. Just switching gears a little bit to some of the, the cyber activity that's occurring. And, and I think we, we talked a lot about the solar bits attack, which was a government uh, believed to be a Russian government sponsored attack. Uh, and what really was very interesting about that attack that is SolarWinds is a premier cybersecurity protection intrusion based protection company. And they were, they were, they were breached. Um, just recently, there was a company that does do us business, but I think this probably would affect globally outside of the U S which is a code review company. Um, who about last week released a notice that they had been breached. Um, the interesting part here is that these are companies that are by design to protect us and have a lot more access to our our information. And when I say our, I mean the general population's information. So in this code review uh, data breach, uh, what, what was disclosed is that they had a breach for a, a, at least a month, if not longer, and they don't know exactly what was accessed yet. But with a company like Code Review, one of the challenges is they review code for vulnerabilities. So they have um, other software's code, which again really creates an opening here. But this isn't to suggest that they did anything wrong uh, at a, by any standpoint. It's just to, to uh, kind of further push that these attacks are becoming more and more sophisticated, and in some cases are government-sponsored, which means really the best uh, laid defense is vulnerable. Uh, and then what, what do we do? Uh, you know, what do we do after the fact? The way this vulnerability or the way this breach occurred was through um, a document that at least believed through a document signing third-party companies. So for anybody who's ever signed a contract online, 
you'll get that kind of DocuSign or and many uh, any number of the document com signing companies. Uh, it, the belief here is that they, there was a vulnerability related to a credential, and that's how the attack happens. Um, there is a trend on more sophisticated attacks using access via third-party plugins, uh, software, and I think we, we all need to stay tuned to this. And the, the reality here is, is the, the only advice that I can offer is to continue to stay patched, to continue to look at whatever network monitors you have, and then be prepared to respond. I think that's one of the things that you know we don't talk about enough, and I know that we do with the LPRC. And this is where I think physical security and cybersecurity and all of those things overlap and that the, the lines get blurred is if you know there's an event that could potentially occur, do you have a plan to respond? Uh, we do a lot of times, a lot to deter and to push things off, but uh, in some cases it's inevitable the things are going to occur. What's our what's our plan of action when they do occur? And this goes for anything that occur, that happens, not just a cyber event, but it could be a physical security event. It could be civil disturbance. It could be just a theft event. You know, how do we respond to it? How do we react to it? Is just as important of, of the methodology of preventing it and understanding what occurs. Um, so I think that that's really really important to talk about. The other thing is, and if if you've been uh, anywhere in the news, you probably have heard about the Facebook's new up, or, uh, you know, new um, challenge they have with privacy related to Apple's uh, iOS upgrades. So 14.5, which is the iOS software that just was released, has some pretty significant um, software enhancements um, focused on consumer privacy. And there is a lot of um, you know chatter throughout this, the Silicon Valley world about how Apple is. Uh, you know, not and are, are taking a, a step too far, um, and it depends on where you sit on the fence with this. But at a very high level, the the newest app really buttons down what, and uh, the newest app upgrade really buttons down what apps on the iOS platform can do from a privacy standpoint. So companies like Facebook, Google, Twitter that rely heavily on uh, user data to monetize it now have an obstacle because. Um, there really is no way for them to get that data without a true opt-in through the application. So, um, some say you know, some say this is a ploy for Apple to control the you know control the landscape and them get the information that everybody needs. Um, I think this is just more uh, along the lines of some of the privacy things that we're going to continue to come uh, in some European countries. The you know they're farther ahead on the privacy state. Uh, what it means for retailers is that in some cases, retailers that used app-based collection methods um, will have to have a much stronger opt-in option. Uh, what most loyalty programs have a fairly uh, open opt-in piece in their terms of services, but as we probably all know, I know that I don't read terms of services, it's an entirety when I use an application, but this would, in some cases, may cause alarm for someone that isn't needed because there'll be a pop-up that talks about privacy. So. Uh, stay tuned for that. I, I do think it will impact a lot more than just Facebook. Um, and I don't necessarily think that this is negative or positive. I think it's just a change in the way things occur. And as long as the education is out there for folks that use iPhones, um, then it, it, I don't think it'll do any long-term damage. If anything, it'll just allow people to understand what information they're sharing and what people are doing with it in, in a better way. I do actually think this will have an impact on, on retail or folks that use app-based um, marketing uh, if, if there's not a really, really good messaging out there. And of course, um, Android, who is uh, the competitor of iOS, has said that they're you know not going to 
follow suit and take this aggressive method that it's not an unfair practice. So stay tuned for it. I think this is a this is the future. There'll be more privacy uh, things that occur in the next six to 12 months uh, as the breaches continue to happen. Uh, it, I think one of the things I would say is we're, we're our, uh, when we talk about mass fatigue, we have breach fatigue. It happens every day. If you have a credit monitoring service that you're using, you probably get a notification once a week about your information being compromised online. And we do have this breach or cyber incident fatigue because it's now part of life. Um, and that's one of the things I would stress everybody is don't become complacent with those um, notifications. Go out, look at them, change your passwords, do what you need to do to protect yourself because um, it is a very challenging process when someone does um, go in and take your credentials and uh, perform what I would say is a much more modern form of identity theft has a much greater impact. And then rounding out, and I read, talked to, did a great job talking about the vaccinations and where we're at. Um, we are now starting to see seizures of websites and actual seizures of counterfeit vaccines uh, occurring throughout the world. Um, this is a it is, as you probably suspected, I think Tony mentioned it too, is it, in Europe, it's a heavier uh, activity because of the vaccination rate, whether the, you know, the government uh, officials, law enforcement, um, you know, uh, and military officials are actually out seizing uh, the counterfeit vaccines. There has been some chatter, uh, chatter about um, Chinese vaccines getting out of China illegally and being sold on the black market. But, it, you know, I don't think for this group, I, I think it, there's no real reminder here. Obviously, uh, everybody probably understands the dangers of counterfeit vaccines. But if you are in a European country and you are um, in a position where you are not able to get a vaccine, that, however crazy this sounds, this is something that people are willing to do is buy that black market vaccine, buy that piece there. Additionally, um, there was someone that was sentenced six months in jail um, in the Bahamas who uh, falsified a false, uh, uh, a, a negative test result um, to travel. So they're now taking the approach of, you know, if, if you get caught falsifying the, the, a travel document um, saying that you had a vaccination, there will be an action that is taken. And this is, I think, the first reported case of jail time associated with it. But I do believe we'll see more of that. There is a tremendous amount of vaccine cards being sold throughout the dark web and the open web. Um, for as little as $50 and as much as $350. Um, so people can use these to travel as well as test results. Um, I think that will be a continued trend um, until people can get vaccinated and to run through. And this person, uh, you know, who got caught with the negative test results was what I would say a regular person. This is not, um, you know, in my opinion, wouldn't be someone that we would look at as a career criminal, someone that was trying to travel um, and basically said, I'm not sick, so I'm going to go online. I'm going to print this document, put, edit it, and put my name on it. Um, so that is occurring. It is occurring throughout the world. Um, and I think we'll continue to see those trends. Back over to you, Reed. All right. Thank you, Tom. And thank you, Tony, uh, for all the updates. Uh, incredible amount of activity going on around the world. Uh, the fraud is amazing. And we talked about earlier, you talked about arrest. Uh, we're in the Bahamas. Um, Bahamian law enforcement arrested a Bahamian citizen for falsifying test results to get on an airplane in transit. So um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how these things are handled and tackled around the world. Um, <clears throat> and each and every place is so different. Um, so stay tuned. Uh, at Crime Science, we're going to keep you guys updated. 
We've got a, a few more podcasts coming up that are not the weekly series or in addition to the weekly series, I should say. Um, so stay tuned for that. But always go to lpresearch.org for the latest information or send us your questions, comments, and suggestions to operations at lpresearch.org. So everybody stay safe out there. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.